This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And today, we are really going to focus on making yourself successful. And it's funny because my guest actually discusses the word success and the concept of success in one of her, her new books. Um, and, and of course, the, the thing is, it's different for every single person. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it, so that's part of why this is going to be so much fun today. We really are going to have a great conversation. So please join me in welcoming Gina Gardner to our program today. Welcome, Gina. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm really pleased to be here. Great. Well, as you can tell, Gina's not in Atlanta with me. Gina, where are you coming to us from? I live in the UK. I live just north of Colchester, which is the oldest town in the UK. Mm. We have Roman settlements here. Mm -hmm. In fact, your listeners may be familiar with Boudicca or Boadicea, the queen, Mm -hmm. um, very fierce queen. And her last battle was very close to here Ah. uh, when she fought the Romans. So we're about 90 miles northeast of London. Oh, okay. Great, great. Um, you know, that is one of those countries I have not yet been to. Been to Scotland, been to Ireland, um, you know, and, and of course, you know, there we were very close, but um, that's, that's just a future trip. Um, so really looking forward to that. Well, let me tell people just a little bit about you, and then we'll really jump into this. Thank you. So Gina Gardner is a number one international best-selling author, motivational speaker, Empowerment, Relationship, and Strategic Business Coach, with over 30 years of experience helping people transform their lives by recognizing their true worth, helping them feel more confident so they can achieve a life of true fulfillment. Gina ran an award-winning school for 20 years, mostly from a wheelchair. The gift of her disability was a unique approach to leadership and empowerment. Her latest number one best-selling book, Thriving, Not Surviving, offers the insights, principles, and strategies which underpinned that success. She is the founder of the Thrive Together Tribe Membership Group and creator of the Thriving, Not Surviving Transformational Personal and Spiritual Development Program and the Enlightened Leadership Program and the Seven Day Happiness Challenge. So again, Gina, welcome. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's lovely to be here. Well, you know, let's let's really start at the beginning and talk to us about how it is that you came to discover that this is your passion in life because you really were having a, a fabulous and very successful career as an educator. And then you really had to take kind of a, a not a detour, but a change. Um, a little bit of background. I was appointed to, as one of the youngest principals um, in the district mm-hmm. when I was 28. Wow. Uh, and I was appointed to be the list for change. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the youngest bar two on the staff mm-hmm. and in fact was told not to apply by the principal because they wanted to appoint a man. Right. We were talking about 1982 um, then and mm-hmm. there were no discrimination laws. They could mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and most uh, executive educators were men. Absolutely. 5% of principals at that time 
were heads, although something like 65% of teachers were, were women, so mm -hmm. you can see the balance. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and for the first six months, we worked very hard to to look at how, how we were going to change things. And the school was very old fashioned, but the people were good. Mm -hmm. um, and it got to the February half term. We have a week's holiday then. Mm -hmm. um, and I was very pleased to go skiing. And um, I went off skiing. I had a new pair of skis. And in those days, the style was to have skis which were long. Mm -hmm. um, and so my new skis were long when I proceeded to wrap them around my neck several times during the week. Mm -hmm. And on the Thursday, I had a really bad accident. Mm -hmm. And I'd said to the people I was skiing with, tomorrow I'm going to go and poddle about and just get my confidence back. Mm -hmm. Met them for lunch. They said that they'd found a wonderful um, a black run, mm -hmm. uh, a, a rather a wonderful uh, gentle run. And, and off we went mm -hmm. up on the ski lift, um, got to the top, off we skied turned the corner and then found that we were on the most difficult back run in St. Oh. Anthony's in the grass. Mm -hmm. And stuck. Well, there was no way back. Mm -hmm. The only way was down. Mm -hmm. your, um, your listeners may be familiar with the term mogul, which mm -hmm. is um, where the snow has been carved by the weather. Mm -hmm. And these can vary from an inch, mm -hmm. uh, but these were monsters. These were six foot tall mm -hmm. and the whole field was full of of moguls so i fell uh, i skied about a third and then i fell it took me ages to get my skis skied back to where the down to where the rest of the party were and they were each sitting like an elf on a on a mushroom um, so i took my skis off and joined them very hot day mm -hmm. and the sun melted the top of the mogul mm -hmm. and um i started to fall oh and the only thing I can remember is a scream and then everything went black. Right. And I'm told I fell between 150 and 200 feet. Wow. Just rolling down the mountainside. Nowhere to land. Mm -hmm. I kept rolling. At one level, very fortunate in the sense that I didn't have much of the, the slope to ski down because... <laughs> you'd, you'd fallen down. <laughs> and I was insistent I didn't want to go in the blood wagon. Mm -hmm. And with their help, managed to get back to the hotel. Mm -hmm. which I home the next day. And I went to hospital and I was diagnosed with a concussion mm -hmm. and I had a nerve in my neck. Mm -hmm. Fast forward five or six weeks and I was the deputy leader for the borough party and we took 150 some school children skiing to Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And I was still not quite right, but I got permission from the medics that I could go. Mm -hmm. And we had our own medic. And you probably them. kept saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh, yes, I'm very good at that. <laughs> um. And so we skied all week, and on the last day, um, as the children and the staff came back to the hotel, I, I just couldn't give any more. And I said to my, uh, my colleagues, I'm going to have to go and lie down. Mm -hmm. And I managed to get onto the top bunk. It wasn't a very posh hotel we were staying in. <laughs> Don't know how. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly found that I was paralysed down one side. Oh, no. I didn't want to scare the children. Mm -hmm. I was really scared, um, but I had to wait until somebody came to check on how I was. Mm -hmm. Right, because oh. you could, as you said, you couldn't yell. You know, you couldn't, and yeah. So you, and this was before you could text someone and say, "Come get me." <laughs> Absolutely, we hadn't got the first computers in school yet. Mobile phones didn't exist. Um, when somebody did come to check on me, all hell broke loose. Hospital, um, and 
very slowly I recovered and three months later I was back at school mm-hmm. I was doing school and I was sleeping mm-hmm. and that was all I could manage so I got to the end of the school term and I was really relieved thinking uh, we've got six weeks summer holiday mm-hmm. I've got a chance to get myself fit mm-hmm. two weeks into the school holiday the phone went very early in the morning and it was my principal's wife who said she just found um, John Hughes, the principal, dead in bed. Oh, oh no. And I became the head, mm-hmm. acting head to start with, and then some um, few months later I was appointed as, as the permanent head. So instead of the summer holiday being a time where I could uh, rest, mm-hmm. I had to let all the staff know, I helped the wife organise the funeral, mm-hmm. and I had to get things set for the term. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, life has never been the same mm-hmm. um, as it was before the accident. Right. Um, I did gradually um, m- gain my mobility, mm-hmm. but I, had a, I was struggling. Mm-hmm. So I did school and that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I was determined is that the children and the staff were going to have the very best learning opportunity that I could create. Mm-hmm. I'd not been happy at school. And I was determined that the school was going to have a very different approach to growing and nurturing a love of learning mm-hmm. and a sense of self-worth and confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for the first uh, two or three years after that, um, my health was deteriorating and my mobility. And by 1987, I was using a wheelchair to get around school, mm-hmm. although not in the classrooms or in the hall. I just used it as a mechanism mm-hmm. to get there. And every time the doctors had done some intervention, the body fell apart. So in, in, in uh, 1990, uh, 1989, I decided I would keep away from doctors. Mm-hmm. And I did that until 1996 when I sneezed and ruptured a disc. Oh, oh I had failed back surgery mm-hmm. and found that I was a very good stalk. Mm-hmm. If I put my left foot to the floor, I fainted. <sighs> and so I started to use a wheelchair around school, um, actually in you know, everywhere around school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found, of course, that I couldn't physically get into my classrooms. Mm-hmm. The doors weren't wide enough, and even right. if I could get through the door, mm-hmm. I couldn't get around the classrooms. Mm-hmm. Right. There are desks, chairs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It took me 18 months to walk to the bottom of the garden, my very small garden, mm-hmm. and three months later I was sick and I had another ruptured disc, mm-hmm. failed back surgery again, and so by 1998 I was completely wheelchair-bound. Mm-hmm. Now, the gift in all of this was that I had to develop a a unique way of of empowering my staff and my pupils to understand what does excellence look like in the context of the school. And what most people do is they talk about things being excellent, but they don't break it down in terms of what behaviours you need to witness in order for excellence to be achieved Mm -hmm. and what's the difference between good and great Mm -hmm. Um, and so we created a language within the school that everybody understood around how we measured our success Ah. and what that success looked like in terms of the behaviors from pupils and from staff Um, and it was very successful Mm -hmm. 
We were one of the first beacon schools, which meant that we were funded to support other schools in terms of school improvement. Mm. Um, and all through my time as a head, I've done other jobs to bring a budget into school because it was so badly budgeted. So I worked for the government as an advisor. I worked for a trainer facilitator for the National College of Leadership, the London Institute. I was an Ofsted inspector, not all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so we as a school were really at cutting edge in terms of, of professional development. Mm-hmm. And the school was on the, there's every year they publish a list of the best hundred schools in England. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud of the fact that we were on that list twice while wow. I was a, a principal. Mm-hmm. But my health was deteriorating. Mm-hmm. And in May 2004, I was given an ultimatum that I either stopped doing the 15 hour day that mm-hmm. I was doing because work was great pain control, mm-hmm. or I would be housebound. Mm-hmm. So I took the very difficult decision to leave mm-hmm. and then thought, what do I do now? I'm not <laughs> to watch daytime television. No, no. Mm-hmm. Um, about the same time, it also had an internal spinal stimulator fitted, which mm-hmm. meant that I, between now, then and now, mm-hmm. I can now walk short distances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at my skill set. I was already a qualified coach. I um, had trained in a wide range of aspects of leadership for many years in my own school, in other schools, and for the National College and the Institute. And so to, to the first two or three years, I worked in, mainly in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. But I needed some credibility. Mm. Because at that time, most people thought that schools were an easy option. They mm-hmm. didn't recognize we had a budget of a million right. Quarters, mm-hmm. employed 100 people. We they were, in essence, a business. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I took myself off to a research project across industry and mm-hmm. what were the issues facing um, those industries in terms of leadership at two particular levels? People coming into work, how did they train them? How did they support those people mm-hmm. moving from education into work mm-hmm. to be professional grown-ups? Mm. As a school, we'd had a license to train uh, graduate teachers without reference to a university, mm-hmm. which is unusual. Mm-hmm. But what we found is that they were very clever at their subject, mm-hmm. but they would come in and they didn't know how to be professional. Right. And we had to train them mm-hmm. how to be a professional grown-up. Right. They could be a teacher because well, they, I, they, they could teach history, but they couldn't do everything else that went with being the teacher. So let me give you a couple of examples. So um, we had a graduate teacher arrive. She was a very well-endowed lady, let's put it that way. (laughs) She arrived with a mini skirt and a very skimpy top. Oh, dear. The boys. High school boys. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you had people who didn't know how to be part of a team. Right. You had people who, um, it was very clear in my school, if you became part of the, of, of the, of the organisation, we don't do moods. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm interested in is, are you a good team member? Are you keen to learn? Are you keen to share your learning? Mm-hmm. And many of these youngsters would come in and they would be very, very tight with their sharing. You know, they would want all of the help from other people, but not prepared necessarily to help others. Mm-hmm. Or they didn't know how to uh, work in a meeting, you mm-hmm. know, how to uh, have a voice without being either petulant or over, overbearing. Mm-hmm. And so we would teach them all of those soft skills, if mm-hmm. you like, although very important skills. Right. 
And then the other area of management was growing middle managers to senior managers. Mm -hmm. And so I went and I, uh, I did a research project across m most industries, so uh, um, retail, manufacturing, um, finance, the service industry, health, local government, and so on. And of course, they were, they were um, dealing with exactly the same issues as we did. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a couple of books to become my calling card. Mm -hmm. And so, as I say, for the first two or three years, I worked in corporates. Mm -hmm. And then the recession hit. Mm. Uh, I'm sure you've had experience of that mm -hmm. um, and the contracts that I had that were going to last from January until at least the autumn or the fall as you call it were all cancelled in one week that's painful so I then thought well what am I going to do mm -hmm. now by this time I'd already started lecturing at Essex University Business School mm -hmm. um, and they would commission me out to go and work with smaller businesses ah. mm -hmm. uh, on a variety of leadership issues mm -hmm. And what I found is I kept on being invited back to deal with stuff that didn't need to be dealt with if it had been sorted properly in the first instance. Right. And so from that day till this, a, a big part of my business is working with, um, with SMEs mm -hmm. um, on a regular basis, always with the senior decision makers, mm -hmm. depending on the business, sometimes with their senior staff sometimes with the whole staff it really depends on the size of the business and all of the um those businesses if we've worked together for more than a year they have had better much better staff relationships far less absence much more productivity and greater profitability mm -hmm. and better work-life balance right and in its essence, that's been where the Empowered Leadership Program has been developed and honed and tried out because all of the strategies that I've used with all of those businesses mm -hmm. have been brought together in terms of that program. Mm -hmm. um, so I've always done life coaching. I did that even when I was ahead. I've always done couple coaching. Mm -hmm. And now I have the business work. Mm -hmm. But I had a really strong sense that my purpose was being fulfilled when I was ahead of mm -hmm. principle. Mm -hmm. But from 2004, there was this growing sense that there were so many unhappy people, so many people who were stressed and anxious, mm -hmm. either because they were struggling to manage other people mm -hmm. or they were being managed by people who had been great salespeople mm -hmm. or great technicians but didn't have the skill set to manage effectively. Right. And so uh, I started Genuinely You Limited, which is um, the second company that I, I have. Mm -hmm. um, started off in, in, in creating a, a personal and spiritual development program, mm -hmm. which is a big part of the leadership program. You can't lead others effectively if you can't lead yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and set up the, the Thrive Tribe mm -hmm. really to give people a place to be seen and heard and validated, mm -hmm. to share, to mm -hmm. be challenged, mm -hmm. to be honest. Mm -hmm. So that's a very long answer to a very short question. Sorry. No, no. You know, it's, it's fascinating. And I always love knowing someone's story because it's, it, it, it's never easy. I mean, you know, and for one thing, it wouldn't be fun if it was easy. Um, but, you know, we, we've all gotten to where we are now through usually some fairly complicated processes. And, you know, and, and I love when you were talking about this because, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about was, you know, here in the United States, when you go to college, you're not taught 
how to be that employee or, or whatever it is. You're taught whatever that skill set is. And you don't get the, the other things, um, you know, and, and you certainly aren't taught how to have your own business, no. um, you know, and, and you might get some, some basic business classes, you know, maybe a business law, an accounting class, you know, some, some things like that. But it, you, you mentioned the soft skills. That's not taught. I mean, you know, the first time I had to fire an employee it didn't go well for either of us, um, you know, and, and I had, and it, now part of it is I'd never been fired. So, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I, I had no frame of reference. Um, I'd certainly quit before, but, you know, I, I had never fired somebody. And so I didn't know how to go back and, I, and, and it didn't go well, um, you know, and, and, and typically that's where we find that, that we have problems is if it's a, 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 you know, a negative type of situation like firing somebody, discipline, you know, all of those things, we really don't know how to deal with that. Um, and I joke, I'm an only child. So, you know, I don't share. <laughs> you, know, you talked about, you know, and, but part of that is in there. You know, I was not brought up in that family unit of having to learn to work with siblings um you know and and so it's that's it's complicated you know as a a sibling you have to negotiate right Mm -hmm. and look for ways that you can uh, find a way around things Mm -hmm. the thing that struck me as you were talking is that one of the biggest i'm going to call it a skill it's also an attribute but i think you can learn it is resilience Mm -hmm. if you are a business owner you have got to be confident, resilient. Right. Mm-hmm. You've got to be pretty tenacious mm-hmm. and determined. I, I excuse the language my mum mother used to refer to as being bloody minded. Mm-hmm. And there are times when mm-hmm. you need that. Right. Because there's going to be challenges and you've got to keep going or reinvent yourself mm-hmm. when things get tough. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and let's be honest, it is more difficult sometimes for women. Um, you know, because extra layer, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, we we're very empathetic. You know, back to like when I had to fire that employee, she actually was pretty okay with it. I mean, you know, it was it, it was not anything that she had done or anything like that. It was just you know we were we were cutting costs. Yeah. You know, and and so she she for the most part understood. I was crushed. You know yeah. that that I was losing a good employee. Now I didn't cry. But I try. I had to. It really took everything I had to not cry. Early on in my career, I had to make two teachers redundant. Mm. I have every sympathy. I mm. understand what you uh, went through. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it was cost cutting. Mm-hmm. And I think it's 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 an incredibly difficult thing to do and leave the other person, the people who are involved on the other side, right. feeling positive mm-hmm. about right. something that's really negative recognizing that you know whatever's being done has been done with good heart and integrity mm-hmm. and that they've been uh, the communication has been good and people understand why things are being done mm-hmm. and don't take it that they are not good enough mm-hmm. right right you know and the other thing that we you know we're not taught is how to be helping people, how to encourage them, um, you know, and, and, and that, of course, is something that is extremely important, you know, whether you're an employer, whether you're leading a bunch of volunteers, um, you know, all those various things, 
if anything, it's more important, you know, because I saw something on Facebook today that said, you know, people, people will always give more when they have been um, encouraged, you know, and, and so it was something along the lines of, you know, if, if appreciated, that was it. People will always give more when they have been appreciated. And, you know, rather than just, well, that's your job, go and do it. You know, we, we have to know how to encourage people. It's even greater than that. When they look at the, you look at the research around stress and anxiety, one of the most common factors is that people feel that they are not appreciated. Right. And that they're, what they're doing doesn't matter, mm-hmm. that they're not making a difference, or if they are, it's not being recognized. Right. Mm-hmm. Or anybody could be doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Goodwill is like a bank account. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got plenty of money in your bank account, mm-hmm. then you, when things happen, you know, your roof caves in or the car goes wrong, you can dip into your bank account. But the minute you go into the red, you start paying interest, don't you? Mm-hmm. Goodwill is just like that. Right. If you if you bank goodwill along the way, when life gets rough, people will will do everything they can to support you. Mm-hmm. But if you are already goodwill bankrupt, mm-hmm. then you're in big trouble. Right, right. And and we're not taught that, you know, yeah. certainly not in, in school. Um, you know, and, and so I love that that's what you do is you go into companies and work with companies and executives to, to show them how to do these things. And it all starts with the individual. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because... You can't change other people. Mm -hmm. You can change the way in which you deal with them. And one Mm -hmm. of the issues is that 95% of what we do, we do habitually. Mm -hmm. It doesn't cross our conscious mind. And so something happens and it triggers us to respond in a particular way, which then triggers the other person Mm -hmm. to do their habitual stuff. Right. If you want to change somebody's behavior, and this is true in your family, in a relationship, your, you know, your, your intimate relationship or your work, mm-hmm. you have to start with you. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that means taking radical responsibility for everything you say, you do, how in, and when you say or do it, mm-hmm. or not saying or doing anything at all. It's mm-hmm. your choice. Mm-hmm. Of course, every choice has consequences. Right. So it makes sense to do that mindfully. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the simplest principles that I teach, which has far-reaching impact, mm-hmm. not only on their work, but also in life in general. Mm-hmm. And it, when you know it, it seems so simple. But actually, for most the most part, people are in their, their unconscious way of being. And so it might be simple, but it's not accessible to right. them. Right. Well, and we have all these learned behaviors. You know, say it's a confrontation and somebody's yelling at you. Your first instinct might be run away. I mean, you know, that's that. If, if, but, but typically you are going to yell back. And, you know, and, and so when you don't do that, you know, either you don't respond or you just respond in a calm tone of voice. It de-escalates things, not every time. I mean, you know, it's, it is not always going to work, but usually it will de-escalate the thing, um, you know, and, and, but yeah, our first reaction is you yell at me, I'm going to yell at you. <laughs> you know? and, and, 
you know, one of my favourite uh, quotes of all times, Einstein's definition of madness, is to keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. Right. <laughs> we all do it. Mm-hmm. We do it. You know, we do it harder, we do it longer, we do it more frequently. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, if you want a different outcome, mm-hmm. then starting with yourself and recognising that you, when you step into your genuine power, mm-hmm. and I believe very passionately that genuine power is not about I have dominion over you that you're weak and a victim and Mm -hmm. I'm powerful Mm -hmm. but when you step into that genuine power it's about enabling not only yourself but the people around you to feel that they have the power to have a voice Mm -hmm. they have the power to be part of the solution and lots of organizations actually they don't mean to, but they train people to be problem dumpers right? rather than solution finders. Mm-hmm. They train people not to think. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a, a, a manager or a leader who doesn't have the confidence or the skill set mm-hmm. to delegate effectively, it, I'll do it myself. Because at least if I do it myself, I know it's done properly. Right. It'll be done right because I'll do it myself. Mm-hmm. So they run ragged, mm-hmm. they then get stressed, they then start to deal with people in a different way. Mm-hmm. People within their, um, within their family or within their organisation have the capacity and the potential to do mm-hmm. whatever is required, but they're left doing stuff that has no real meaning mm-hmm. because the leader or manager doesn't have the confidence or the skill set to actually create the culture <laughs> where delegation is seen as part of everybody's development. Right. And it's, it's very simple mm-hmm. to share and to get people to the stage where they can feel confident and do that effectively. Mm-hmm. And the ideal is to create self-actualizing, self-organizing team. But don't get away with the, thing, with the principle that you organize them and let them go. You're right. Still- mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's how you lead them that makes the difference. And you know, that's all part of, of learning to be an enlightened leader, a, a leader that can have the confidence to deal with the difficult situations and have the hard conversations, but in a way that is developmental, mm-hmm. that leaves the listener under no illusion that what they were doing before isn't acceptable. Right. And what you want them to do is a Right. Yeah. I mean, we've all probably had meetings like that where we've met with our boss. Yeah. They've told us something and we come out of it going, I'm not sure what happened. I might've gotten trouble or I might've got a raise. <laughs> and I think people are, because they lack the skill and the confidence, they'll often dress things up mm-hmm. to the point where it becomes such a euphemism that people right. don't know whether they're coming mm-hmm. or going. Mm-hmm. Or they leave things and leave things and leave things mm-hmm. until they're so irritated that mm-hmm. there's a blow up. Right. And the person is, but I've been doing that for six months. Mm-hmm. Or what, more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why didn't you say something, you know, a year ago? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's learning to have that skill set and the confidence um, to be able to do that mm-hmm. in the appropriate place that I think mm-hmm. would make such a difference to the quality of leadership, which mm-hmm. I believe we have around the world we have leadership at the moment which is in in chaos and in right. yeah yeah a lot of countries right now that are just it's like holy cow what the heck's going on <laughs> and i think that's at, at international level it's at 
company level, it's at the family level. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one of my, my mission, I, I, I want to positively impact on a million people in the next five years. Mm-hmm. And to do that by helping people become, if you like, the spiritual matriarchs and patriarchs, people who, will, who have integrity, who want to make a positive difference, mm-hmm. who want to, yes, be profitable. This is not about wearing oh, yeah. a shirt. You can't function if you're not profitable, you know. Mm-hmm. To do it in a way that leaves a living legacy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, people talk about a legacy when they die, mm-hmm. but we leave a legacy with every word we speak, with every action we take or not. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about how do we create a legacy that is a living, dynamic, positive one? Mm-hmm. Perfectly possible to do that. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, in your book, one of the things that, that you were talking about, and you know, this is kind of along the same lines, is how to ask for help. Um, you know, and so it's not just delegating, it's actually asking for help. And that's where I think so many small business owners have trouble. Um, you know, first of all, they're, you know, they, they have the impression, you know, those little voices in our head, holy schmoly, you know, <laughs> we have such fun with the little voices in our head. We somehow think we have to do it all by ourselves. You know, that's, you've, you've started this business, you should be so smart, you should be able to do everything. Uh, you know, so we've got that you know, strike against us right there. And then the other thing is we're alone, you know, and, and so we don't have someone to delegate to or ask for help. And that's where I see so many small business owners who are especially the one person type of business where they really struggle is they don't know who to ask for help. And, you know, and, and of course there's absolutely nothing wrong with asking for help. You know, we, we don't try and have open heart surgery on ourselves. You know? <laughs> I don't even try to change my own oil in my car. Why should I think that I can do my own taxes? <laughs> and actually, you know, it's, it, it's absolutely right. But if you think about running a business, there are many, many aspects. And I think mm-hmm. one of the things that keeps businesses small and it may, they may be successful, but the success is limited because as one person, there is only so much that you can do. Mm-hmm. So if you're happy with that, mm-hmm. you know, there are, I've met many people who effectively what they're running, and mm-hmm. I don't mean this in any rude way at all, denigration, mm-hmm. but they're running a hobby business. Right. And it's never going to be more than mm-hmm. that. Right. And they might be perfectly happy with that. They are. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Great. But then there are many people who aspire to have a business which is um, financially more successful. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the issues is we have to be very careful about our definition of success. Right. may not be other people's and Mm -hmm. they need to be clear about their own. And I would say to you, one of the things I've noticed about many of the companies that I've worked with is when we started – they didn't have a clear definition of what success looked like. Right. So when things went along, they never knew when to celebrate mm-hmm. because they kept moving the goalposts mm-hmm. because they didn't know what they really mm-hmm. wanted. Or they didn't even have goalposts. <laughs> and the other problem with that is if you want goodwill and you want people to be engaged, they need to know what the why is. Mm-hmm. Why is this important? Right. And if the success criteria aren't clear, then that's very difficult mm-hmm. to do. But ultimately... With all of this, if you think that you can't, that asking for help is a weakness, that in doing that, that you are limiting yourself or people won't think well of you, right? then I think you need to do some serious thinking 
because ultimately our strength is in using people who have the passion and the expertise that we don't naturally have. Right. And I think there's, there's, just, there's a distinction. Sometimes it's well worth going and training to do something because we know we're going to use it regularly. Right, right. And other times it's much better to go to an expert and pay that expert mm-hmm. because they'll do it in a fraction of the time mm-hmm. and you know it's going to be done well. Right, right. But you know, I, I, I do what I call the 15-minute rule. You know, if, if I can do it in 15 minutes, then I'll probably do it myself. Yeah. If it's going to take longer than that, it's probably the best thing to have someone else do it. Working on my website, great example of that. I love tinkering on my websites. And I break them. Um, you know, and, and, but the, if it really is something that's going to take about more than 15 minutes, so something more than, say, a, an update, yes. it really should be done by somebody else who's going to do it faster cheaper in the long run than me wasting my time doing it and breaking it, then still having to hire them. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, if I just asked for help to start with, it's, it's much better. So much of this is about what value do people put on their time? Mm-hmm. Time is one of the three commodities that, that are finite. Time, mm-hmm. energy, um, and, um, oh, my brain's gone dead. Um, time, energy, and, money right how could i forget money you can use your money <laughs> I wish it was unlimited but <laughs> you can use your money to buy other people's time and other people's energy mm-hmm. but you can only use any of those three commodities once mm-hmm. and yet we fritter it away mm-hmm. by my mum used to have a, a phrase faffing you know mm-hmm. faffing about mm-hmm. doing something and playing at it right then becomes an issue and then we procrastinate and we leave it and it gets a bigger and bigger thing. Right. We've got somebody you can go to. Sometimes help is about having a sounding board, somebody to say, you know what, that's not the big thing you think it is. Right. It's into perspective or that's really great. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Having that sounding board, having somebody who will help you put it into perspective or who has a skill, a passion and an enthusiasm that you don't have. Mm-hmm. And that is real strength, is understanding where your where the boundary is between stuff that you should be doing and stuff that other people should be doing. Right. You know, and of course it's hard, especially when we're starting out, when probably one of the things that is the most finite is money. Yes. Um, you know, and, and so there's there's certainly lots of ways around. Maybe you can trade with someone. You know, there's there's all sorts of things to, that you can do. And maybe it's that you adjust, you know, rather than having the 10-page website, okay, a one-page website will do for now. Um, But it it comes back to a lot of what you were talking about in your book, and I loved your book. Um, Again, it's called Thriving, Not Surviving. And, you know, it's, it's those internal conversations that we have with ourself, Um, you know, and, 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 you know, part of it, and it was that it's not good enough. And of course, what we need to remember is we are enough. Um, you know, but that, that is probably one of the hardest things we have to learn. I think that's very true. We're conditioned from tiny. If you look at little babies when they're learning to walk, and I use that example in the book, Thriving Up Surviving, mm-hmm. and the strap line is the five secret pathways to happiness, success, and fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say that one of the reasons why I've identified those is it didn't matter whether people came to me as an individual, a couple, or a business person, we eventually covered all five. Right. 
belief, mm-hmm. relationships, success, managing change, and purpose and fulfillment. Mm-hmm. But if you look, so let's go back to the belief about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important. If you believe you can, the chances are you'll do it. Mm-hmm. If you believe you can't, it's a done deal. Mm-hmm. So I use two examples in the book. One is of Roger Bannister, the runner. He was the first four-minute miler. Mm-hmm. Now, I find it amazing that he ran the four-minute mile, bearing in mind that the medics of the day said if you ran that fast, you would die. Right. Your heart yeah. could not stand it. Mm-hmm. That's right. And around, if you look at the footage of the, when it was filmed, there are men in white coats with oxygen bottles. Yeah. Hoping that when, when, because they were convinced he would mm-hmm. collapse, that they could revive him. Mm-hmm. Now, that he did it, I think, is amazing. Mm-hmm. But what's even more amazing is that within 30 days, over 30 other runners had done the same. Right, right. Why? Because they believed they could. Mm-hmm. So, back to our babies. Anybody who's watched <laughs> a baby learn to walk knows that they don't know the meaning of failure. Right. They fall down, Mm -hmm. they get up again. Mm -hmm. They fall down, they get up again. Mm -hmm. Because they believe that they are invincible. Mm -hmm. They have even if they get a bump or you know, they're like, oh okay, yeah. They might cry for a couple Mm -hmm. of minutes, but it doesn't stop them. Mm -hmm. They don't spend time saying, Does my bum look big in this nappy? Mm -hmm. They don't (laughs) have I got too big a tummy. Will Mm -hmm. they think worse of me if I fall over five times Mm -hmm. as often? They just believe they are enough. Mm-hmm. But somewhere, either with parents or schools or peer, peers, the belief that we're not good enough gets installed. And that can often come from a chance remark. Somebody says, oh, you silly thing, or you're right. no good. Right. Mm-hmm. But we, we believe it, mm-hmm. and we take those limiting beliefs into adulthood. Mm-hmm. And I can, my, my youngest client was, has been seven my oldest client has been 84 Mm. and i can tell you that there are people who have carried these limiting beliefs for decades and based on nothing more than a flippant remark Mm -hmm. they are not real Mm -hmm. unless we choose to make them real right now a lot of times it came from someone whose opinion you really valued yeah. You know, and, and things like that. And so that was why you really took it to heart. Um, yeah. But, you know, and in, and in a lot of cases, it, it and then it morphs, of course, into to something more because it's not, you know, maybe somebody's, you know, well, you know, oh, you can't read that book. And then somehow that became, I'm not smart enough. Yes. And then I'm not smart enough to have my own business, you know, and, and yeah, and, and all of those beliefs then just get, as you said, so ingrained and they're not true. But we look for evidence and we perceive right. evidence to mm-hmm. be real. So right, to, to back it up. Mm-hmm. So an example, you're in a park, mm-hmm. there's a dog and there are two separate people. Mm-hmm. The dog approaches one person and they go, oh, no, go away. I was bitten by a dog. The dog Mm -hmm. gets frightened because they're flapping their arms and Mm -hmm. they're squealing, growls. See, I told you all dogs are dangerous. Mm -hmm. The other person, when the dog approaches them, hello, boy, you're just Mm -hmm. like Mickey, my dog. Mm -hmm. They know how to greet the dog. The dog comes, licks them, wags its tail. Their belief that all dogs are friendly Mm -hmm. is reinforced. Right. And it's the same dog. Beliefs. But we do it all the time. Our perception 
is our reality. In just the way if we put on a pair of rose-colored spectacles, mm -hmm. we would see the world that was all pink. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that disability is a metaphor for life. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm a wheelchair user, even now, though I can walk. My legs don't work very well, but I have the advantage that I can get in my wheelchair and I can wheel away. Mm -hmm. But if you diss your ability, and the interesting thing is when somebody else criticizes us, that's bad enough. Mm -hmm. But we are our own worst critics. That oh, voice yes. in our head is mm -hmm. so toxic mm -hmm. at times, mm -hmm. telling us we're not good enough, we're not tall enough, we're not slim enough, we're not mm -hmm. rich enough, we're not enough enough. Mm -hmm. And we believe our own PR. Mm -hmm. And so changing that mindset and looking at what you can do rather than what you can't. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to tell you, this is a very personal story for me, that we all self-limit. Every single one of us self-limits. I'd left headship uh, uh, being a, a principal and I had decided to become um, a neurolinguistic um NLP master practitioner mm. and so I'd gone off and done my studying I'd done some more coaching um, NLP coaching studying and I'd done it all with the same organization so I decided to go and see as many people using it as I could and Tony Robbins was on at the Excel Center in London mm -hmm. 10,000 people on the course wow and in the morning, he was talking about a program that he was doing in California. And I just dismissed it. I'm in a, uh, I didn't have an electric travel chair then. Mm -hmm. I was in, so I thought I'll be in the manual chair. I'll be by myself. I can't manage yeah, that. Yeah, just can't do, can't do. Mm -hmm. Now, I'd, I'd worked all over England, but I had an arrangement with a taxi firm who would take me. So that was a bit different. One of the things they did on that first day was the fire walk. And many of your um, listeners may be familiar with that. When you walk over hot coals in bare feet mm -hmm. without burning your feet mm -hmm. because you've got the right mindset. Mm -hmm. Now, at that time, I, could, I was 2006 and I, I'd had the spinal stimulator for a couple of years and I could walk a few steps mm -hmm. very wobbly. wobbly um, <laughs> and I was given help. And I was ecstatic that I did the firewalk. Wow. As they helped me to sit down in my wheelchair, mm -hmm. the guy behind me was a double amputee. He tipped himself onto his hands mm -hmm. and he walked over those hot coals in his hands. Mm -hmm. That guy doesn't, doesn't know what he did for me. Mm -hmm. I have no idea who he was. But in that moment, I thought, if he can do that, I'm going to America. Mm -hmm. I booked my flight. I booked my ticket. Since then, I've done all Anthony Robbins stuff. I'm a senior leader. Um, I've studied all over the world. I've traveled by myself. And all of that is because that man showed me that I was self-limiting. Mm -hmm. And I told this story to many people, and they too have reported back that it's made them think, mm -hmm. how are they self-limiting? Right. Oh, I definitely do that. Um, you know, I was sharing with you before we started that I was diagnosed with cancer and had, you know, quite a few complications. And, you know, and, and they will be complications that will last forever. I mean, you know, it's just th things that happened. And, you know, and, and so for the most part, I'm like, whatever. But you do have those pity parties. You know, there you have those pity parties. Well, about the point where I'm having a pity party, I see a television commercial for, say, children's cancer or, you know, or an amputee or something like that. And I'm like, 
you know, and, but the, the problem is I don't say nice things. I say stupid. You shouldn't think like that. And, you know, and, and so I need to reframe it because even though it's taking me out of my pity party, I, the words that I used were still not positive words. And so I should be saying, you know, wow, you know, it, you, you can do what, you know, what you want to do and, and things like that. I would add to that. And I think that's very true, but I would also add to that. One of the things for me, which has made a difference, huge difference is to always focus on what I can do rather than yes. what I can't. Mm-hmm. So let me give you an example. When I came out of hospital after the second um, spinal operation and I was completely wheelchair bound, it was pretty bleak because I'd already been there once. I'd been told this time that they didn't think I was going to walk again. And I was in a pretty bleak place. At home, I live on my own. I'm not married. School took everything I had. Um, it if my carer hadn't filled the kettle, mm-hmm. put a cup on the side, I couldn't make a cup of tea. Mm. I could watch daytime television, I could read, and that was it. Four days after coming out of hospital, I was back at school. Mm-hmm. Part-time for three weeks and then full-time. Mm-hmm. And people have often said to me, Isn't, weren't you brave? And I thought, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I could stay at home and focus on how disabled I was. Right. Oh, woe is me. Or I could go to school and do something I loved and was passionate about. Where if I needed a cup of coffee, somebody would bring it to me. Right. Because I, if you asked for help. I could use my brain. I could use my mouth. Patent, my mouth works. I could use my hands. Mm-hmm. And I could run my school. Mm-hmm. Four months later, the consultant said, I think you might think about you going back to school a couple of hours a week. And I just laughed. Uh-huh. I could have had four months at home mm-hmm. getting more and more depressed, right. focusing on not being able to do very much, but I could focus on what I could do. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's always been the thing that has made me feel uh, good about myself and has given me a sense of joy and achievement and purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, that may sound big to the people that you're, you who are listening, but all of us have the capacity to do stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's, I can dress myself. I can make a cup of tea. Right. I can, you know, when you focus on what you can and recalibrate your brain in terms of what you can do, mm-hmm. that can lift you out of the doldrums, out of the depression, mm-hmm. and help you recognize, you know, particularly if you practice gratitudes, mm-hmm. what an amazing life we lead, particularly mm-hmm. in the Western world. Right. There aren't many of our listeners here today who are going to be hungry no. or who don't have decent plumbing or a roof over their head. Mm-hmm. We are incredibly fortunate, aren't we? Right. And I think when you look at those things, then feeling good about yourself and about, the, about your life mm-hmm. gets better. Right. Yeah. And the other little voice that happens in our head that we, we need to tamp down is we've you know, a lot of times been told, you shouldn't be thinking good things about yourself. That's bragging. That's egotistical. No. I mean, you know, there, yes, there are the extremes, you know, and, and so, you know, we need to find that spot in the middle. And again, it's the I am enough, you know, that, that philosophy. It's the, the difference for me is that I am enough does not make me better than you. Right. It makes me different to you. Mm-hmm. 
I think that the bragging comes, and bragging for me comes because somebody's trying to prove something to them. Right, they're trying to better. Mm -hmm. They're trying to make themselves feel better. Mm -hmm. Because people who have self-confidence, people who step into their genuine power, they don't need to brag. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they actually own and acknowledge their skills, their attributes. They're wobbly bits and all. Mm -hmm. They recognize that as a person that they are unique. There's only one of you. There's only one of you. There's only one of me. Mm -hmm. um, and we bring our gift to the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And some good examples of that are, are athletes who, you know, it, they might be the absolute best at whatever they do. And, but rather than the, hey, look at me. It's, you know, they, they, they're thinking, how can I help the next person? Um, you know, all of these various things. And, 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 you know, and we all know athletes like that, or, you know, it can be, you know, uh, celebrities, you know, I, you know, um, uh, oh gosh, I just totally spaced on his name. See, you know, these, yeah. Um, the, the, uh, oh, he, he, oh, you know, he was in, um, Forrest Gump and he, he played an amputee. Oh, I Dan, 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 because he has the Dan band. Um, but, you know, he, he does so much to help military people now. And he's, you know, he's this star. He doesn't have to do that, but he goes and he does that. Um, you know, and, and, and when we see the opposite, you know, when, when we see the people who are the bragging, the, you know, the whatever it is, it's a, it is a turnoff. I mean, you know, we, we don't like that. The one thing I would say to you is that, you know, we look at these big um, celebrities and stars and look at what they're doing. But, you know, every one of us has the capacity on a daily basis mm -hmm. to make a difference. Right. You know, just by saying hello and smiling mm -hmm. at someone mm -hmm. or helping someone with their shopping or opening the door, mm -hmm. those little random acts of kindness can make a huge difference. Right. And if you've got your own business, if you are part of your community, there are things I'm sure that you can do right. that will make a difference to the mm -hmm. schools or to the youth programs or so on. By giving a bit of your time, mm -hmm. um, you'll get it back in spades. Mm -hmm. It will enrich your life as right. well as, as the other person mm -hmm. or the other group. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I think it's you have to practice self-care. Mm -hmm. If you have a jug and you keep pouring out glasses of water, then the jug's quickly empty. Mm -hmm. If you have a constant tap running into the jug, the jug will overflow and you can use the overflow for other people and keep the jug filled for you. Mm -hmm. Airlines don't say, uh, tell you to put um, on your own oxygen mask. for right. a very put on the other. Mm -hmm. So you can help others. And mm -hmm. I think particularly with, with business owners, if they're, um, small in the sense that they, they are trying to do it all themselves, but even if they're trying to manage other people, again, it starts with you. Right. Self-care, mm -hmm. and I don't mean being indulgent, mm -mm. but actually being you know, looking after yourself and then encouraging your team to do the same. Right. Have boundaries around um, electronics. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a time, and I can remember, and I suspect that you might be able to, although I think I'm a bit older than you, but, you know, there was a single phone on a, uh, on a string in the hall. Right. And you dialed it and, and you couldn't go very far because it was stuck to the wall. <laughs> uh, and letters came by post. There were no texts and no emails. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. people would come home after work and they would actually um, 
they would have an opportunity to recharge their batteries, mm -hmm. to go and do something that filled them up, something creative, perhaps singing or dancing or art or sport. And they were better workers as a result. Mm -hmm. There's a growing body of research which says, ignore this at your peril mm -hmm. because people are getting burnt out. Mm -hmm. People are, uh, in the UK, 70 billion pounds a year plus is being wasted by people being off because of stress and anxiety. And they think twice that amount for presenteeism, which is something that's only recently being talked about, which is people who are at work, mm -hmm. but only operating at half level right. because they're stressed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so the mistakes are made and, you know, mm -hmm. they don't get on with their colleagues. They make mistakes. Mm -hmm. They are, um, they're less productive, and they end up being a dampener for the whole team. Right. And so it spreads like a virus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that drives me nuts is when I see the articles that say, you know, <coughs> the people like Richard Branson or Bill Gates or whoever only sleeps three hours a night and look how successful they are. No, that's not good for you, you know, and, 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 and I'm sorry, I don't think they do that, um, you know, or they might, but it, it is going to have an effect on them, um, yeah. you know, and, and so, yeah, when we see things like that, it's like, no, mm -mm, no. And even if it were true, and even if it was working for them, mm -hmm. each of us has got to find what right. works. For I us. need seven-ish hours of sleep. And there's more and more research which mm -hmm. shows that lack of sleep leads to all sorts of problems. Mm -hmm. I mean, we look at the number of people who are depressed. Over half the prescriptions in the UK are for antidepressants. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing it's pretty high here in the States. And when they look at they, you know, this myth that antidepressants are going to make you less depressed, I mean, mm -hmm. all, a no. lot of research shows that it's not true. Mm -hmm. It's why you have to take more and more and more. Right, right. And then you add in people who have alcohol and things like that that are, you know, trying to accomplish the same thing. Mm -hmm. Or shopping or mm -hmm. sex. Or right, yeah, some type of addiction. Mm -hmm. They're trying to anesthetize themselves mm -hmm. from feeling bad mm -hmm. rather than looking at, well, what's the underlying cause? How right. do you create mm -hmm. a life which is fulfilling? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's so important that, each of us recognizes that we have this journey towards fulfillment mm -hmm. and ignore it. And then you feel with a, a sense of dis-ease, which eventually leads to disease, mm -hmm. you know, whether that's mental or physical or emotional, that we need to be doing things which make us feel whole. Mm -hmm. And that could be a hobby if you have it. It's not about having a job that necessarily is your passion, although that's right. the ideal. Mm -hmm. But being passionate about your job, mm -hmm. no matter what it is, mm -hmm. and doing it to the best of your ability makes all the difference. Right, right. Oh, my gosh, Gina, we are at the top of the hour. And I have to say, I keep wanting to call you Judy because you <laughs> remind me so much of a, a very good friend of mine. Her name is Judy Taylor. Um, and, you know, and, and she is, is one, of, one of the most special people in the world. And you just really remind me of her. And so I keep oh, wanting yeah. to call you Judy. So if I call you Judy, that's why. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we didn't, I, I showed you, know, I took, took my little notes when I was reading your book. We didn't do any of them. So that means I have to have you on again because, now see, we're just going to tease people with this. One of the things I wrote down is funky chicken. <laughs> so <laughs> we have.
have to have you on again to explain that. Or if they go to the website, I'm happy to come on again, but if they go to the website, which is genuinely-u.com, that's genuinely the line, u.com, and sign up for the happiness challenge, they'll find out all about the funky chicken. Right, right. You know, and, and but yeah, I mean, we, we really didn't talk a lot about the, the concepts in the book that take you from just surviving to thriving. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, I do encourage people to, to get your book. It's, you know, Amazon, all those, those various places. But how do they find and connect with you online? Give your website again. It's um, HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash genuinely hyphen you.com perfect um, and um there's a facebook group you can join the genuinely you facebook group just mm-hmm. come along and ask to join that mm-hmm. um, you'll find me in linkedin gina gardner um love people to um to connect um there's lots and lots of free stuff mm-hmm. um, there's coaching packages and if you're interested in the leadership program which is just about to be launched mm-hmm. uh, then if you email me at info at genuinely you.com mm-hmm. be very to talk you through that right and we didn't even talk about the thrive together tribe which is is something that that is on your website so we encourage people to go there and read more about that absolutely yes there's lots there but it's a place to come and you know if you're feeling on your own feeling isolated mm-hmm. it's a place to come and have like-minded people support mm-hmm. you challenge mm-hmm. you can bring any issues there's twice a month um interactive coaching sessions where you can bring any of the issues there there's a, a, a private Facebook group where you can enter things and you get access to the Thriving Not Surviving Personal and Spiritual Development Program. That's Wonderful. all part of that. It's $37 a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, Very reasonable. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of, of resources there. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, you know, this really has been wonderful. And, and like I said, you know, I wrote all these notes and we didn't even cover any of them. So, um, you know, it's, we definitely have to chat again because this was so much fun. I love doing this. But until then, Gina, is there anything, what do you want to leave our listeners and our viewers with? I think I'd like to leave you with, you are the common denominator that you take into every moment of your life from the moment you're born to the moment you die. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to make this the very best life. Don't settle for settle best, second best. You are important. You are precious and you have the power to be the hero rather than the victim in your own life story. And if you want some help, reach out to Genuinely You and to me. There's lots of help there out for you. Perfect. I love it. And it's funny, I wrote down victim or hero as one of the things I wanted to talk about. So, you know, we definitely will do that again. Until then, I've been having a wonderful time talking with Gina Gardner. I'm Deb Creer. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.